And then also from the Gospel of Luke, which will be our scripture reading for the sermon, Luke chapter 2 at verse 21. Hear God's word as we read from the Gospel. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul, your own soul too. That's far the reading from God's holy word. I invite you to turn back into scripture. So Luke chapter two at verse 21. For the gospel text today, Luke chapter two, verse 21. Title of the sermon is Jesus is revealed where God is worshiped. And well, we'll begin with prayer. Lord God, we have before us the written and infallible word that presents the incarnate word, the word that was with God, the word that was God, the word that became flesh and came down from heaven for our salvation. We ask, Lord, today that we would have the privilege of hearing your word preached, that the preaching of your word would be faithful, uh, that we would be able to see Jesus with eyes of faith. We ask, Lord, that the end result would be that he would be our, our rock, our foundation for life and our redeemer. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. This time of year, I'm reminded of what happened to our family in 1979. We were in my home church on this particular Sunday, and I was in my third year of seminary. I was going to start my last semester, 
And we had a baby on October 9. And my parents were excited to see the, the baby, but we weren't planning to come home. We weren't planning to drive all those many miles. And uh, so they decided they would send us money for airline tickets. And we flew home. And so it seemed to be uh, the Lord's providence that we would have our oldest son baptized in the church where I was a member. Uh, this was an opportunity for that. And uh, so that particular Sunday, uh, we were on the schedule when the time came in the service, a pastor called us up. And our oldest son was a person who, as a baby, would sense problems, stress, danger, whatever, immediately, and he knew right away something was wrong. And as soon as we stood up, he started screaming like a baby I've never heard at a baptism, ever. Ever before, ever since. And so we went up, and it was a big attendance that Sunday, and uh, the pastor went to the baptism service, and I heard a word here and there, and I, I was familiar with it because I was going to be a pastor, but without that, there wouldn't have been too much understood. And then when it was over, I went to sit down, and my wife took our son out the church door, and later, of course, after service, uh, one of my aunts came to mention something to us. And you know how it is when you're a new parent and things don't go quite right. You know, there's people from a previous generation that can help out, right? They can give you some good advice and pointers. And uh, I'm being a little facetious here. You know, you can understand that, I hope. And uh, the conversation was nice. It wasn't mean or anything, but I still remember it. I still remember it. It was 44 years ago. We're looking at a story here that you, you might wonder, well, where would this information come from? In Luke's gospel, Luke, the gospel writer, who is, by the way, a great historian, starts out saying that he collected these accounts from eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So who would have known this story? Well, Mary would have known this story. Just like I could tell you this story that, that I referenced from um, our family's experience. You know, the pastor that performed the baptism, he, he's gone, and, and even my parents have passed on. There, there aren't many people that would be able to even remember it, even if they were there. But being the parent, I remember it. And so here it is. Uh, where we have the account of Mary that Luke is telling us. It's interesting, the structure of this book, where the gospel begins and it ends in the temple. And so we have Zechariah praying in the temple, and then Gabriel comes to him saying that he would have a baby uh, named uh, John, and he would have this important mission as a herald. And then it, the gospel ends with a temple at Jerusalem. Well, what was the idea of the temple? The temple was 
in Jerusalem. And if you lived elsewhere, you wouldn't go to the temple as a regular feature. You, you would stay in your town and you would come together to worship very much like we're doing here in the synagogue. It was, it was like congregational worship. Uh, in fact, the uh, worship that we have in the church that is spelled out in the New Testament uh, really is based on what happened in the synagogue. This was very similar to what we're doing. But the, the idea of the temple, the temple symbolized God's presence in the midst of his people. So if you wanted to go and meet with God, uh, it would be at the temple. And the message of the temple is God is holy. And we have this place, the Holy of Holies. We have this place where only the priest can go. Only the priest can make a sacrifice. God is holy and you are not. And so a sacrifice for sin is required. And the temple sacrifices ultimately look forward to the sacrifice of Christ. So the lambs that were slaughtered there and the bulls that were slaughtered there and the goats that were slaughtered there all look forward to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. Now what happened in the providence of God that 40 years after the cross, the destruction that Jesus promised came about and the temple was totally destroyed. So if you go to Jerusalem today, you can't see the temple. The temple is not there. All they have is uh, the western walls uh, is a supporting wall of, of the temple compound where the temple once stood. But there's no temple there. And 40 years after Christ, it wouldn't have been possible, it still is not possible, to bring an animal offering to Jerusalem. Because it's not there. The temple's not there. But at this time, it was. And the Holy Family's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is five and a half miles from Jerusalem, so not very far to go. You think about where five and a half miles would be on our highways out of town. Not very far away. And the couple, Mary and Joseph, and Jesus now go to Jerusalem. Why do they go to Jerusalem? Because it was required. It was required in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that we're not under anymore. But Jesus was. Galatians 4 tells us that when the time had fully come, at just the right time, God sent his son, who was born of a woman and born under law. Okay, so here's the law. And the law was that the male child be circumcised on the eighth day. This was a covenant God made with Abraham. When Abraham became a believer, he was circumcised, even though he was an old man. His son Ishmael, when he was 12, at the same time. But later, his son Isaac, when he was born, on the eighth day. That's what God required. And on the eighth day, uh, Jesus was circumcised. And this is mentioned in verse 21, the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. So all through this, we're talking about obedience. Obedience required his, his parents to name him the way God had commanded. So the angel appeared to Mary and told her. Angel appeared to Joseph, told him. And now it's a, a done deal. 
when he circumcised, he's named, he's named Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, same name. The Lord saves. And obedience required appearing at the temple at the proper time. Verse 22, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So if you go back and you read Leviticus 12, you find out that a woman who bears a son must wait 40 days before she is considered pure, and at the end of her 40 days of purification, remember this is ceremonial law, it's done away with in the New Testament, but at the end of her 40 days of purification, the command of Leviticus 12 is to bring a sacrifice to the temple. And the sacrifice is spelled out, a lamb, and a pigeon, or a turtle dove, a lamb and a pigeon. Now, what would happen if you could not afford a lamb? You can be sure that if you go to the temple and you had to buy a, a lamb at the temple, you'd pay, pay a premium price. Uh, well, there was, there was a way that even poor people could make the right sacrifice. The thought here in verse 23 is that every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord in this way. And so uh, th this was done in verse 23, as is written in the law of the Lord. They, they followed all the commandments of God in the life of Jesus. And they were to require the sacrifice uh, since they couldn't pay apparently for a lamb and a turtle dove, the Old Testament Leviticus stipulated that the sacrifice of the poor uh, could be a pair of doves or two turtle doves. And so they offered that sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And so we see, okay, the required sacrifice was made. It was not the one that would be typical in the sense that if you were living with a decent income, you could afford. But in, this, in the obedience of the sacrifice, we see our Lord's identification with the poor. So if you've ever been poor and you read the story of Jesus' birth and, and, and this portion as well, you can see that he's identifying uh, with you. He was born to a home with not much money. So if we, we think of the chronology here of what happened after Jesus was born, uh, Jesus uh, was announced by the angel, praised by the angel choir, the shepherds go to see him, and then 40 days later, he is brought to the temple. Okay, the wise men have not come yet at this point. Right? They haven't showed up yet. Sometimes we have our Christmas program, we bring them the same night. Because we only, we only have one celebration. Uh, well, we can celebrate twice. Uh, January 6th, we can make next Sunday, uh, if we follow the church calendar, we can make that the uh, Feast of Epiphany, uh, the wise men coming. 
but clearly he's not at, at this point uh, been visited by the wise men. Uh, the wise men come with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then they have to leave in the middle of the night and go to Egypt. All right? Uh, Luke's not going to talk about that. Um, I would assume uh, from uh, reading the various Gospels that the order of the Gospels, and almost everyone would agree, that Mark is the shortest Gospel. Mark is the first Gospel written. Uh, the order is not in, in time. But scholars believe that the first Gospel written was Mark, and the last, the Bible, the last Gospel written is John, which is very, very obvious as you read the book. But what's next? I would say the, the after Mark, it'd be Matthew and then Luke. Seems to me like Luke is assuming the material in Matthew's gospel, the wise men and so forth. But clearly as he's going through the uh, event of what happened when the parents of Jesus brought him to the temple, the idea is that the parents not only heard the word and knew it, they were doers of the word. They obeyed God, and this is what all parents need to do. And in this place of worship, there's this old man by the name of Simeon in verse 25. And he's described here as a righteous and devout. Now, as you read through uh, the um, narrative here, you find that Simeon is not clergy. He's not priest. He's not a Levite. He was a layman. But he's righteous. He, he's a person that has lived out what, what God has, has required for people of faith, and he is devout. And that conveys the idea of someone who's totally committed. You know, some people will say, well, yeah, I believe in God. I, I believe there's a God. But if you looked at their life, you wouldn't say that they're totally committed. Right? Well, we're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be totally committed. And Simeon was. He was righteous and devout. And he's waiting uh, in verse uh, 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And we'll sing a song in a little bit that references this verse. To console means to comfort. The idea of, of comfort is spelled out in Isaiah 40. If you're familiar with Handel's Messiah, this is where the Messiah starts. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says the Lord. Well, where does our comfort come from? It comes from Christ. What is your only comfort in life and in death? I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's my comfort. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In, in the Gospel of Luke, we have uh, various mentions of, of the Holy Spirit, uh, coming, uh, filling John, who would be the baptizer, with the Holy Spirit right from birth, of, uh, uh, of Mary being full of the Spirit, of, of Zachariah filled with the Spirit. Uh, we have here now Simeon, who is led by the Spirit of God. And so at this point, we have another song in Luke's Gospel. So if you have a NIV or maybe a, a modern a translation, 
you might have this sec sectioned off here as uh, the Song of Simeon. So we have songs in Luke prior to this one. You have Mary, Mary's song known as the Magnificat. Uh, we have Zachariah's song. We have the angel song known as the Gloria. And now we have the Song of Simeon. And if you want the traditional title for it is Nunc Dimittis. And it means now dismiss. Now dismiss. And so it had been revealed to Simeon in verse 26, revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Now the temple is a big, it's a, 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 a big um, edifice here. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There would have been many people in the temple, and yet this old man, led by the Spirit of God, finds Mary and Joseph and the baby, and he takes the baby in his arms and praises God. And this is what he said, and this is called uh, the Song of Simeon. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Dismiss your servant. Well, you can try that title on for size and see if it fits you. Remember the sermon from last Sunday where Mary is told that she will be the mother of the, our Lord? And her question is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the answer is, remember the answer? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible for God. And so people who deny the virgin birth do so with the belief that it's not possible. But Mary, however, believed, and she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And we remember the welcome that's given to people that use the talents uh, as uh, people of faith. And they report to God, and uh, the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we all want to hear. And so we have the Virgin Mary uh, in Luke's gospel. We have the old believer Simeon, who says, now dismiss your servant. And they're both conscious of the fact that their life is about serving God. Now that's not someone who merely believes in God. And we shouldn't be described that way. But throughout the Bible, the idea about it being a servant is descriptive of those who belong to the Lord. And Simeon says, Lord, you now can dismiss your servant in peace. And Spurgeon makes this point that this peace that comes through the cross, Jesus dying for our sins, taking away our sins, making us right with God, this peace is a possession of all believers. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I think of the, the movie uh, Bucket List that came out in 2007. I remember if you saw it, these two guys that have a terminal illness and, 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 and they have some time and, and they get to... Uh, do to, they decided they're going to do some things together, whatever was on the list of the other, you know, in terms of what, what they had to do before they died. And uh, so we have these, 
things that they tried. I think of of uh, skydiving was on one of them, uh, one of their lists, you know, and, and Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson's character, you know, he was one skydiving and Morgan Freeman, you know, they jump out of the plane, they're looking at each other, falling through the air, and Morgan Freeman says to his buddy, I hate your rotten guts. That wasn't on his list, a skydiving, but he had to do it anyway. Or the uh, movie Hunt for Red October, or the dying Russian officer. He had this dream of seeing Montana, and as he died, he said, I wish I could have seen Montana. That was on his bucket list. Recently in uh, November, my son visited, and he had, uh, he had a little bag of coffee that one of his um, people that works under him from Vietnam had sent to him as a gift, and so I got to try this bucket list coffee. If you ever thought about that, that was really something. Uh, but it wasn't on my bucket list. But here's something that, should, that needs to be on your bucket list. It needs to be number one on your bucket list, as it was with Simeon. What he was waiting for, he said, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. He said, Now I can die. Now I've, I've got what's on my bucket list to see God's salvation. And that needs to be where we are too, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You think about what Simeon saw. He saw a little baby, and yet he had faith. He didn't hear Jesus preach. He didn't see him do miracles. He didn't know about him going to the cross, but he recognized Christ as God's salvation. And he said, Lord, now I can die. Now I have your peace. And that's where we want to be. Matthew 13, verse 16, talks about eyes of faith, eyes to see. Jesus said, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Think about our ancestry, most of us here, uh, our background, we come from, a lot of us, most of us come from European or uh, some other ancestry that's outside of Israel. Our ancestors were idolatrous. Uh, they did not worship God. They, whatever they knew about God, they suppressed and they, they worshiped something else. But when Jesus came, it was a light to the Gentiles, to the nations. And that's why we're here today. And glory to God's people, Israel, and we think of people that came to faith and the blessing that came to them that were Jewish. And so we have this song uh, that I re reference here as a nunc dimittis. And it was, uh, at, at one point, a traditional closing song at the end of worship or at the end of communion. If you look back in an old uh, Presbyterian hymnal back in the early 1900s, uh, this, was, this could be a recessional hymn. Lord, see if I can remember it. Lord, 
Uh, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And that really should be the experience every time we come to worship. That we can say, okay, I heard the gospel. With eyes of faith, I have beheld Christ. Well, when the parents heard this, verse 33, like parents would, uh, they marveled at what had been said. And all good things, right? Well, not quite. In this place of worship, parents learn more about the mission of Christ. In verse 34, And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus would cause the falling and the rising of many. How you respond to Christ, it's going to be your downfall or it's going to be the way in which God raises you up. And he'd be a sign, sign of what God is doing in the world that would be spoken against. There'd be people definitely against him. But in his ministry, the thoughts of people's hearts would be revealed. And today as you're in church and experiencing God's word I no doubt you feel like God knows your thoughts and God knows your life and God knows who you are. And that is the experience of being in his presence. Simeon goes on to say, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so he prophesied that a sword would pierce Mary's soul also. That puts before us a scene of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, we think about when the soldiers came and they didn't have to break his legs, but they had to make sure he was dead. So they stuck that spear in his side and water and blood came out. And Mary was there seeing what happened to her son. It was like that spear went right into her. Because that's the way parents are. What happens to your child happens to you. And so she was told ahead of time. This, this sad event would come to her. Here it is, right at the presentation of Christ in the temple, the prophecy of what would happen. We look at this passage and we have to learn from this to practice a high view of the church. Not like, oh, you know, we come and, and you know, go through a routine. No, we come to worship we come expecting to see God's salvation. And our Lord has promised that we're, we gather in his name. You'll be, you'll be here. And it's through the cross that we have peace with God and are made ready to die. And here we praise him. Here we praise him. And like Simeon and Anna, uh, this elderly woman who's also part of the story, who praised God for the Messiah, we need to praise others Praise, praise him to others and uh, speak of uh, the, the news, the good news that the Savior's come into the world for our salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the prophecy of Simeon.
Uh, we thank you also for this elderly woman, Anna. We thank you how you use old people also in the uh, proclamation of the gospel in the ministry of Christ. Help us that we would uh, serve you in our generation. Help us that we would have a high view of coming to, coming to worship. Uh, we would be drawn here and that we would feel like, we, Lord, you can dismiss us because we have seen your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.